right. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our weekly market update. I am Spencer Sue out of the Bay Area, and we got some things to cover, some headline articles. Let's talk about this. Wells Fargo, once the number one player in mortgages, is stepping back from the housing market. We also see U.S. inflation slowed for six straight months. What does that mean? Where are things likely to go? Build for rent is a bet on the new normal housing market. Now, we don't see this too often in the Bay Area, but in a lot of other markets, which is really interesting, like in Texas, the places like Georgia, Florida, there's a lot of these builders that are just straight up building for rentals. And they're not uh, apartment complexes. They're just single family lots. So pretty interesting. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about some of the things that are still happening here in the Bay Area. All right, so let's get into it. Wells Fargo, once the number one player mortgage is stepping back from the housing market. So for many of those that when they read this or if they were familiar, Wells Fargo actually has not been the number one lender uh, for most mortgages in a long, long time. They, what there are some mentioned here, instead of its previous goal of reaching as many Americans as possible, the company will now focus on home loans for existing bank and wealth management customers and borrowers in minority companies. This was never the case. They never had goals to reach as many Americans as possible. So if you heard that or thought of that, that was either a marketing ploy or it was a straight up lie. Now, how do you know that? If you really wanted to be serving as many Americans as possible, you would actually be very aggressive when it comes to doing loans for what they call as conforming loans. Conforming loans in every area has a certain maximum in terms of price. So in the Bay Area, some of our high balance conforming loans is up to 1.1 million. Now you may be asking, oh, I can't buy anything for 1.1 million. No, that's not true. You can buy a majority of homes in the Bay Area for over for under 1.1 million. But certainly there's a lot more than that, which is would be called jumbo loans. So most of these big banks, they realized after all the regulations, but also the learnings and the findings of the previous real estate recession back in 2008, that they didn't want to go in that business model anymore. And so what they did was, they were very competitive in jumbo loans. So when you hear of all these numbers, oh, average rates right now are like 6.3% or something like that. Jumbo loans, because it's written differently, their underwriting is different. It's from the bank side are actually lower than what you would find for conforming loans. Right now, Wells Fargo can go in the fives for jumbo products. So what happened over the last decade is that the big banks stuck stopped caring about the masses. They actually were going after the people that have more money. Hence why they just said that they were going after the wealth management side of things. Now, take a look at this. JP Morgan Chase are also not competitors. Bank of America, they don't do that much. But take a look at this. Places like Rocket Mortgage quickly filled the void. You have other places like... Um, you're not going to hear this much. It's uh, UWM. Uh, they also have taken a lot. And now UWM is a player. 
that ultimately takes from that ultimately works for like mortgage brokers. Like for example, my wife, she works at a mortgage broker that that works with a lot of their uh, their products. And so those are the ones that take advantage of these big banks that have exited for a long time. They they have less. I don't know if the the real real thing is like less regulations, but there are they're just not as regulated as before because you're newer companies. Uh, they didn't have to go. They didn't have to go through kind of the mess that these big banks have to deal with because they had to be saved. But it's just been going on for a long time now. So, and if you you knew this because. How do the banks decide if they want to be aggressive or not? So let's point out some current examples, right? Look at Chase's lending. Just ask Chase, if you want, ask him what the rate is today. The rate is actually quite high. So the banks don't have to say that we are not lending anymore. They will just price themselves out of the market. And then you wouldn't want to lend with them anyways. Right? So that's how the process works. Excuse me. That's how the process works in terms of them wanting to be competitive or not when it comes to lending is really just about what the rates are. That's why you see their jumbo products are still very, very competitive. Um, so because of that, Mo Wells Fargo is still a very competitive lender when it comes to homes that are over 1.1 million, which are called jumbo products. But if you're doing conforming products right now, a lot of your best bets are still going to be and has has been with mortgage brokers. They tend to be doing a lot better than that. U.S. inflation slowed for six straight months in December. Consumer price index rose 6.5 last month from a year earlier. So we're seeing some good signs. It's actually working, which would be very scary if all these massive hikes did nothing. And you see it affecting all assets already. I looked at everything recently. I looked at, you look at housing, right? You're 25% off the top already. Uh, you look at uh, obviously stocks, crypto, absolute winter, absolute disaster there. You look at uh, even luxury goods. So you look at high-end purses, high-end watches like Rolex, APs, paddocks. They are down by 15%, something like that too. Um, NFT is pretty much dead. <laughs> There's nothing going on there. Uh, so you see a lot of these things already take place. Now the question that a lot of these things are that are happening is like because of these hikes, are we are we going to see this continue to go down? Because usually it's a laggard, right? People have to people are reassessing, and a lot of this data they collect is, is is somewhat old, so a lot of it is a little bit behind. So the question moving forward, when we will see that over the months, is that will these numbers continue to drop naturally, or will we have to keep having more hikes for it to be able to drop? Of course, time will tell on that, but these present opportunities right now. If you have been seeing homes on the market, there are a lot more people that are looking at homes every week now. So it's been a lot busier than it was prior. Now, it could be a combination of uh, people have New Year's plans. It could be a combination that if you look at interest rates, they have been already lower than the peak, which was back in November. So there has to do with that. Rates are also more stable. So I suspect this year we're going to have a lot more stability of rates at the numbers that we're at. So maybe 5 to 6%, which is a good thing. People just want stability, right? Leave me a comment below. Like, what's, what's holding you back when it comes to buying a house? For most, it's stability. 
if the new normal is five or six percent, people can use that assessment and be like, all right, it is what it is. If it keeps fluctuating drastically, then people are like, maybe I should wait and see what happens. And so hopefully we will see some uh, more stability. That is my prediction that it's just going to be more stable on the rate side. I'm not saying everything else will be stable. At least the rates that will be more stable so then people can reassess their investments and the valuations correctly. But this is so far good news. As I mentioned, it's a whole lot better than it this continue to increase, even though we've been uh, uh, been decreasing now for, for some time. This is the six straight months of decline. So overall good. You can see the trajectory down for overall inflation. That um, That is a good sign. Let's talk about a few other things. Build for rent is a bet on the new housing market. Um, so build for rent. So what is build for rent? So I get this question at times. In the Bay Area, unfortunately, we don't get too many of these opportunities. But build for rent ultimately means when you have housing, you have two options. A developer can develop apartment complexes. So we see a lot of those throughout the Bay Area. You also see in other markets, single family homes that would have been usually sold just for regular people to buy, but they're building whole communities that are then just used to be uh, for, for rental purposes. Now, if you think about it then, who is then buying those rentals? Because it's not the people, because if it was a people buying, they would just buy themselves. It's actually very large institutions. And so what happens is you have a lot of these big names, whether it's Chase, a big bank, instead of them lending you money, they are just buying these homes instead and then renting them out. Kind of very, very sneaky. There's a lot of them. BlackRock, for example. There's a lot of these funds and institutions that have raised a lot of money, hundreds of billions of dollars for these kind of projects because they see this as a huge opportunity. Right. And so what they also would do is that there are many communities that they have been building and they were initially for buyers. But if they weren't selling as well, they can just convert that into these kind of rentals because the rental market has still been good. They understand that a lot of people are in the buying. They're not going to be they don't have the mindset to buy. They would just rather rent instead. And because the product is very in demand of these single family rentals, the numbers still make sense. And so you see this happening, not in the Bay Area, because the, the math for rentals don't have never been positive. But for a lot of other places, like in the Midwest, like in Florida, like in Georgia, these other markets, that the home prices are a lot cheaper. It makes sense from an investor perspective, especially in this kind of scale of what they're doing. You have next, luxury home sales across the Bay Area declining fast. So who are the ones that got impacted the most, actually? If you take a look at the numbers, the number of luxury homes uh, are the ones that are a little bit slower. But to be fair, take a look at these numbers right in San Francisco. If you look at these charts, let's say 2022 through 2023 or 2021 to 2022, I wouldn't actually say it dropped too much. Now, certainly a lot of this excess capital has been affected, right? I mean, think about, I mean, even think about Elon's Musk net worth. It's not all cash. It's a majority is based off of other assets. And when rates go up, most assets drop. As I mentioned, there's no there's nothing that escapes these things. 
And so when it comes to that, then the question is, okay, does it actually impact things? When I actually look at this, I'm not, I'm not too, um, when you look at the really luxury market, the 10 million plus, it hasn't changed a lot. But when you look at the 5 million or more, which is interesting, this has changed a good amount, but it's still, these numbers are still higher than even previous, even previous years. So I, this is why it's always important to look at the charts, like look at, add up these totals, right? Add up these totals in terms of how many are actually selling for the entire year. This is still higher than it was previous years. So the reality is there's a lot more capital still out there than before. And people are still making moves. Now it's not as hot as it was in 2021, but certainly it's still very, a lot better than it was in previous years. So be mindful of that. Now I suspect that things will get closer to previous years. But it's still a, a pretty good amount. And if you're just even going back to the previous years, it's still a fairly healthy amount. Just the craze is a, a lot, a lot uh, lower. Uh, a few things. Salesforce discloses plans to ax more than 700 Bay Area tech workers. This was an announcement or this is a revealing not uh, too long ago. They eliminated 752. They expect these, these things to continue to occur. Now, I want to talk about these because it's very important to see how this ultimately impacts other markets and in terms of other sectors. So think about valuations of companies and think about valuations of startups. At the end of the day, all most of their valuations are really on exit, like what they can exit for and what the multiples are the exit for. Now, when it comes to the enterprise space, and when, especially when it comes to software as a service, Salesforce is by far the biggest juggernaut in this space. Because they're the biggest juggernaut in the space, they are the biggest market cap. And they will have a price to earning multiple or a uh, sales, sales multiple that startups can only dream of to get to. So if... The market cap of Salesforce, and let's just look this up right now. So the market cap of Salesforce is 150 billion. And this is like as great of a SaaS company that has pretty much ever existed. This is like the top of the market. And then there's different revenues for that, right? You can see like their finances um annual revenues 26 billion dollars so it's like a crazy amount of revenue right 26 billion they've been growing uh, very quickly so they always look at like year over year growth is still like 25 percent, which is super wild so it's incredible of what they've been doing so you have like this as the peak of the market not peak of the market peak of the best players out there and so what happens is as you can see with even salesforce's stock valuation right at one point it was at it was at double this so the the market cap was over 300 billion now what does that mean it impacts all different startups behind it right if you are a series e series d series c series b series a it all impacts it's a cascading effect right because the investors also have to realize okay our best exit it's certainly not going to be this, but it'll be a fraction of this. So if our best exit is a fraction of a, of a publicly traded company like X, Y, and Z, then we have to reassess our valuation. 
And so that's why you see a, a huge multiple compression that has occurred over the last year, because as rates increased, this inf- impacted all of these very big public companies. And so as their valuation got cut in half, it makes sense that all other valuations should be cut by half, if not more, because this show the risk side of it for them to be successful, right? Salesforce is a massively established company. They're very well ingrained in, in most enterprises. And so that's why you see what you see. And then so because of that, because the the targets of the valuations are different than before or at, slash by at least half, these companies have to make their assessments as to what to do next. Do they, do they still have the ability to grow with their inter- with their current base? Do they have to lay off some people that are not core? Do they have to save capital to be able to survive for the next round? Because perhaps, as you can see, a great company like Salesforce dropping by 50%, are we closer to the end than uh, the beginning of things? Probably, right? And so the key is that's why you see like 2023 will be a really interesting year for a lot of startups. That being said, if you look at like, other areas there are certain sectors that are still raising a lot of money it's been really wild i mean look at open ai right look at that side of things i think that side is going to be something that a lot of people are going after still i mean open ai raised another 10 billion from microsoft and so you have still some sectors that are still growing really quickly especially there's no the difference of like ai and why that's unique versus SaaS companies is those are new sectors that don't have too many exit valuations, right? Because they can be game changers. And so you have that side of it. You have this other side, which is like this different climate tech kind of things. There's no real exit out of it, right? There's no real big players to compare it to. So with that, then it gets very, it's a frenzy environment, right? Like if there's no, there's no basis of where these can go. Then people do whatever they want and they just, pouring a, a ton of money because they're betting on indefinite things. Look at crypto as an example. Crypto first for a long time was comparing, oh, we're going to one day be comparable to uh, the valuation of gold. Well, that was a lot. That was a long way to get there, but that was a very lofty goal. Right. And so when you have these sectors that don't have as much of an established player like we have in SaaS software as a service and those different things happen. Well, let me know if you have any questions or thoughts about if you have any goals of real estate uh, throughout the year, leave it in the comments. How do you think of the market? Do you think this is a good time? Do you think this is a bad time? Love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed this show. See you next time. Bye now.